Welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be your way team commander. Joining me is my science officer Anna, with our new recruit Jude. Jude, Anna, we've already done one episode tonight, so I'm not going to ask you how you're doing. Um, I have a question. No, yeah. When do I get a departmental designation? Do how many seasons do I have to watch before I'm no longer a new recruit and I can be like I don't know science or security or uh, whale we, tank scrubber when Worf joins the show we will change your name to butt monkey Ensign. <laughs> i'm not sure that's an upgrade um we could we could also um there there's something that would prompt you becoming a, a, a cadet potentially yeah interesting all right or an acting ensign perhaps acting ensign <laughs> acting <ensign>. <laughs> <laughs> Such a uh, such a dirty upgrade. That one works for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, tonight we are going to be covering. Uh, we're we're doing a three parter because we sort of got like three. I don't want to say they're they're not nothing episodes. They're like sort of three. Just like we're we're at the point of the season where y'all we have a, like a twenty episode order for the season, and I mean they can't they can't all be big plot <laughs> episodes. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. Rumpelstiltskin shows up. <laughs> Believe it or not, not a joke. That is legitimately that is legitimately one of my like dark horse favorite episodes in the entire series. Oh god. We'll talk um, about that. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight we are covering the storyteller, progress, and if wishes were horses. If it, Anna, you have storyteller, take us away. All right. So for this one, the score, the story is by Kurt Michael Benzmiller, teleplay by Kurt Michael Benzmiller and Ira Stephen Bear, and directed by David Livingston. So first, let's tackle the A-plot. O'Brien has to get in the minivan with Bashir for a road trip to Bajor, where there's a medical emergency. A village is apparently in danger of being wiped out. They reach the village and find out that this isn't like a plague or environmental disaster. Um, that One of their leaders, called the Sarah is dying. The magistrate states that the whole village will die with him. Bashir determines that the old man is just dying from old age. There's no, like, no mystery cause here. Um, and the Sarah explains the crisis. He's responsible for protecting the village from a terrible creature called the Dalrock, which threatens the villages for five nights every year. Tonight is night four. Against medical orders, the Sarah gathers the villagers together and fights the Dalrock, which apparent which is apparently some sort of like ominous cloud. Um, he gives an inspirational speech about how the village can overpower the Dalrock um, through like the power of friendship. Um, and energy starts to rise from the villagers and push back the cloud, but then he collapses and like lightning strikes. After he gets back up, the Sarah asks for his successor. One Chief Miles O'Brien. <laughs> he tells O'Brien that he is in charge of telling the inspirational story from here on out. Um, and the villagers' apparent joy about this forces the Dalrock away. Um, then the Sarah dies. Neither Bashir nor O'Brien can figure out what the Dalrock is, or what those weird beams of light were, or how the Sarah inspired them. Meanwhile, the village is going absolutely banana pants, lavishing Miles with offers of gifts and services and <clears throat> services. Uh, and then when he says he's happily married, insisting that Keiko and Molly move down to the village with him. 
The Siraz apprentice Hobath is uh, not part of this rejoicing, however, um, having been spurned in favor of some, like, rando. He tries to murder O'Brien with a pair of scissors and says that O'Brien is not the true Syrah, which, like, duh. Um, thankfully for him, Miles is just as motivated to not be in this position as he as Hobart uh, as Hobath is to be the Syrah. Hobath also explains that somehow all of this is due to a bracelet with an orb fragment. It's not an um, a, a long past Syrah apparently used it to create the Dalrock as a manifestation of the villagers' fears and unite them against it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh Hovath apparently tried fighting the Dalrock earlier this year uh, and was not successful, thus the choice of Miles as successor and why the village won't allow allow O'Brien to pass the responsibility back to Hovath. That night, O'Brien takes the podium and just absolutely beefs it. Bashir finally realizes that the Syrah set up all of this so that Hovath could save the day from Miles' incompetence. Uh, Hovath does exactly that and saves the village, too much rejoicing. Bashir and O'Brien slink off back to the runabout ASAP because they are done with all of this nonsense. Back on the station in the B-plot, Cisco is facilitating negotiations between two Bajoran delegations who are feuding over land, the Paku and the Navat. The, the boundary between their territories is meant to be a river, which the Cardassians redirected, uh, shifting land from the Navat to the Paku. Surprisingly, the leader of the Paku, Varys Sul, is a teenaged girl. Nog and Jake catch sight of her and are immediately smitten, and she accepts their offer of a tour of the station and some wormhole gazing. The talks are not going well, though. After the first day, Varys goes back to Jake and Nog, who suggest that she should view this negotiations as an opportunity to get something that the Paku want in exchange for the land. Later, after the second day of talks, Nog reiterates this advice. Opportunity plus instinct equals profit. She says, that helps. And the three celebrate with some mischief. They steal Odo's bucket from his office, and unbeknownst to the other two, Nog also fills the bucket with oatmeal before dumping the contents on a truly horrified Jake. <laughs> Odo and Cisco catch them, and Cisco speaks with Varys in his office. She takes responsibility for the practical joke, and they, they discuss the negotiations. Varys is finally willing to compromise. The land will belong to the Navat, but both sides will have free access to the river. Before leaving, she thanks Jake and Nog for their help and gives Nog a kiss on the cheek. Uh, before the two boys head to the security office to clean up the mess. This episode was, <laughs> there were moments at the beginning of this episode that were physically uncomfortable to watch. It was so awkward, but I got way into it. I love Nog in this episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I Nog has literally... There's a moment in this episode where he starts explaining the rule. The, the I forget which rule of acquisition it is. And you can see on his face that he has never had success with women in his life, period. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he's doing so with the rules of acquisition, he's never been higher in his entire <laughs> life than that moment. Yeah. He'll be chasing that high for the entirety of his adolescence. <laughs> So there, this is this is going to be something that's going to be built upon in the next episode, which is DS9 is bringing out a theme here. TNG said, our cringe teenager must be suffered because he will become space Jesus someday. Yep. <laughs> DS9 said, all teenagers are cringe. And actually, that's great. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> yeah. it definitely is like this is just 
teenagers are just cringe. Like, that's fine. It's just part of what teenagers do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's it's one of the things that we talked about with Jen of like that because there are because the teenage characters interact with each other mm-hmm. and are yeah. allowed to be teenagers, like even the one who's a political leader, it's like there there is it's delightful instead of like, oh my god, I, I don't want this. Yeah. And they're not trying they're not being they're not teenagers trying to be forced to be adults like as part of their job. I mean and well our 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 guest who uh, like her internal conflict comes from the fact that she is being forced to be an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I have some thoughts about uh, a couple points of this episode and one of them is a uh the like oh my gosh, it's a teenage girl like shock reactions to her being the leader. I mean, I'd be pretty I'd be pretty surprised if like the leader of a faction like known for being like super tough, et cetera, walked off of the ship and was a teenage girl. No, and I that's fine. But like the way they depict that reaction yeah. is a little bit weird. And it's emphasized by the fact that like Quark is super demeaning to her. Yeah. But like And well hold on. Yeah, Varingi are all sexist pigs. Well and then yeah. she throws the drink in Quark's face and they had to choose the take where Quark looks thoroughly aroused by this. And that, <laughs> oh God, they just, I mean, they, ha- they dude, can't go probably all the takes. They can't go one episode without making the, like, without doing something relentlessly horny with the Ferengi. And I'm not mad about it. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. I just feel obligated to point out how you know, like weird. I am a li- like, it is a little weird for it to be like a teenage girl, but like, I mean, Quirk just. Quark has a humiliation. I was just going to say, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's all Ferengi or just Quark, but he has such powerful step (laughs) on me energy. It is really just Quark. Quark. Quark wants, Quark wants a strong woman to fucking step, (laughs) to step him into like another fucking subspace dimension. So bad. (laughs) Don't worry. He'll marry one. (laughs) Uh, like 10 second headphones moment here does the nagus also have a humiliation fetish because moogie i mean on a lot like it's not like a hard kink for him it's yeah like yeah, a so- yeah it's like softer but yeah. yeah yeah right and maybe that's why he and cork like vibe yeah <laughs> god this <laughs> i'm okay i'm gonna make a like... prediction that cork marries one of those klingon Raider women. <laughs> this is an interesting prediction. We'll yeah, see. That's interesting. Other other weird stuff in this episode, uh, or funny stuff in this episode. There's, I love that Jake really lo- like respects his dad, yeah, and mm-hmm. like keeps talking well about his dad. And there's a classic. There's a line that made me laugh so hard I had to pause the episode, where they're talking to Varys and. Uh, Jake says, my dad's a pretty smart guy and Nog, feeling obligated, butts in, mine too. And over the girl's shoulder, Jake's face is like, uh, <laughs> and Nog's like, uh-uh. well, I can't remember exactly what his line, but not Nog, Nog has a line like, well, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good. Oh man. We'll, we'll get more about Nog's relationship with his father. Yeah. 
I, I I'm looking forward to us getting more getting more proper ROM. To 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 move a little bit into the main plot, there are, that village has two imp, has two big I knew that faces. Really, the old storyteller is uh, from the last Starfighter. I uh, knew I knew him from somewhere. Yeah, he's like the old dude in the last Starfighter. That's funny. The other one is the village elder. Where is he from? Gilmore Girls. No, who is, <laughs> is is that fucking Richard Gilmore? No, it's the Reverend. Okay, yes. Yeah, All no. Right. Trust me, I thought it was originally. I was like, is that? And I had to look it up, and I was like, no, no, it's Reverend Skinner. Okay, okay, okay. that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I was, I was like, I, but I love, I love a good like, you know. 90s aughts character actor of crossover of like oh, it's man. it's like the handshake meme of Star Trek actors, Gilmore Girl actors, and it's like two bulge two bulge muscles <laughs> of like specific character actors. Oh, and um and Stargate actors too. Oh yeah, that, that's it's like it's the the trio of like linked arms. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, no, I I in this episode, like the the, the Orb fragment creates dull, like light <laughs> cloud demon that they have to use the power of friendship to beat back is honestly I, one of the dumbest I hate it. yet the best things I've ever seen. I hate it. It's so stupid. I love it. No, I hate it. I hate it. Uh. Uh, and and it like and it makes it it makes zero sense. And also like it's magic. Stuff, That's like, what it is. Yes. Right, right. I mean, the, that's the orbs clearly, are magic. Yeah, the, the orbs are magic. That's clearly what it, it it we're supposed to take away from this. Yeah. But also, like, there's this wild aspect of, like, the village is united now. Presumably, they could, like, stop this, like, cycle. But, but it's part of their culture now. So they're just going to keep putting the village in danger for five nights every year. Because and, they like, believe it still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I find belief-based magic systems to actually be like really annoying. Like, like, like this, this is like I, I really actually like the the well vampire vampire like you know holy otter holy or like garlic only or like crosses only working against vampires if you believe in men. And I'm like, ah, bullshit. Just just say they're bl- they have to be blessed or not. I mean, just yeah. I find I find like the 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 thing of like it's powered by belief. It's like oh come on. I I I thought this was dumb when I watched Dumbo as a kid. <laughs> Either the god is powerful enough to do it on its own, or it's a shit god, and I shouldn't worship it. <laughs> you sound you sound like one of the one of the atheists in Discworld. Oh god, <laughs> yeah, um, strike me down, bitches. Yep, exactly. Um, this episode does highlight something that I think is really interesting, um, that I like that they do with the Bajorans that, like, I wish that it had more screen time in this show and, like, in, and more screen time just in general in sci-fi. But here in this one episode, we have three culturally distinct sets of Bajorans. Yeah. Um, which and is interesting like and good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really really interesting to see an alien species that's not just like entirely homogenous. Yeah, when you it, when it turns out you can spend more than 44 minutes with a culture uh, <laughs> and flesh yeah. them out, you can actually do this sort of thing, which is I, a wild idea. Um, yeah. It's why the Bajorans and the Trill are two of my like favorite aliens in Star Trek. Yeah. 
This episode is also the first time we get we we decide, hey, you know, it'd be fun. Let's ship O'Brien and Bashir off to have a terrible time somewhere. <laughs> I unironically loved that part. I loved oh. how like O'Brien was just barely tolerating Julian's presence initially, and then they get down there and O'Brien gets himself into a pickle, and rather than like continuing to be awkward. Julian decides to just enjoy it and yeah. is yeah. just loving O'Brien's discomfort and is just like just rolling with it, just going with the situation and just enjoying how like not yeah. fun O'Brien is having. And it's just like, dude, enjoy the fruit baskets. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's oh man, it was very, very funny. Um yeah. Oh, I yeah. loved that dynamic and uh I hope that there is more of that in the future. Oh, don't oh, worry. Yeah. The, the, um, as I was saying before the recording, this is going to be, I mean, this is a well they will go back to for any reason. Um, and it, it really is. Okay. Anna, is it the best friendship in Star Trek? Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, and I would say that Nerese and Kira is or like and Dax. the one that, uh, yeah, Nerese and Dax is the, is the one that I would like tie with it. Potentially, yeah. they 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 like they 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 learn they figure out the formula for O'Brien and Bashir like earlier, yeah. And like I think they they start applying some of the dynamic of one person having a terrible time, one person having an absolutely great time, <laughs> and uh, like like apply it to uh, Dax and Kira, and like yeah. it it. it comes out differently but they are both but like it, it really does o'brien and bashir are the pairing of characters that i care about the most in star trek that there is no like there's no romantic and like there's nothing romantic between them and like and it's like it's not it's i can I definitely see, see them being just like buds yeah yeah it's like i don't want to say it's a no tp for me like like it's like i reject any instance of it but it's like it is one of the few where i'm like i just don't see it on a romantic level like you can sell me on kira and dax and you can tell and, and like they are you know, there's a lot there that you could go with there's none of that there it, it, like it, for me at least you know? yeah i think it is when people decry like the lack of like platonic friendships between male characters when when like male characters are shipped, I just like gesture at Bashir and O'Brien and just like, no, these these like it's legitimately the longest and best friendship in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? But yeah, I mean it's it's delightful. Um Bashir, uh like I love the start of the episode where where Julian's like Telling a man twice his age, no, just call me Julian, don't call me sir, which is like calling somebody half your age, sir, is already annoying. But now this like this this, this I love that baby that faced so much. This baby faced little bitch is uh it's it's don't so, call me sir, call me Julian. It's <laughs> it is both it is equal parts condescending and yet also like and yet crawling he's so with, desperate for friendship. Yeah, yeah, crawling with like a lack of self-confidence. Yeah. Which is Julian in a nutshell. Cuz he really he really does want everybody to like him. Yeah. Like he's so desperate for everybody else's approval. Especially Dax's. <laughs> yeah, it is. I yeah, it's cuz 
So, Ani, you've got in the if you've got it in the notes, and I mean, one of the things that I think you could very easily, or you've got in the notes here, of it is very easy to read Julian as autistic. Um, oh yeah, they're, they're like oh yeah, they're, like this is one of the things that like you know comes out to me of like somebody doing like a first post school job, and you were just like desperately trying to get into like any sort of like you're, you're trying to form connections in a new environment and mm-hmm. you're like it, 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 it feels very real in a way of like and being very terrible at forming those new connections yeah and, yeah. and, and like making missteps along the way i think is very I, it feels very real and it's like it's done in a way that like i do actually like I find enjoyable and like looking back on it and putting it in that framework is, is a fun read for me looking back. And I, I love the, I love the thing in this one where they're, where they're on that runabout and like, you just get the vibe of like, it's like, it's like when you take a road trip with like, you know, it can be, it can be the dearest friend, but that friend who just like talks a lot Mm. and you're just there like driving and it just like, just words go past you. Yeah, yeah. and O'Brien is like quite the entire ride, and like, and, and Bashir is like doing the thing of, hey, hey, did I make you mad? Did I make you mad? I'm, yeah, you haven't, you haven't really said anything for me for two hours, and it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've also seen a lot of people read um, ADHD vibes into Julian. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, Absolutely. Actually, actually, I want to ping on that very briefly, because I think that I think it may be like some I don't know whether it's something that they did like on purpose or by accident. But I think that it's like potentially because they put a lot of the like quirky genius tropes onto Bashir. And made him annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Especially early on. Yeah. Yeah. And it just happens that like those those specific like traits are also like tend yeah. to be autistic or ADHD coded. Yeah, no, it, it's like like Bashir Bashir in season one is how I fear all of my interactions with other people sound like to outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just like, you know, uh, uh, you know, most of the time it's like, no, you're a fine person, but it's like, you know, I have that worry that like, that is what I look like. You know, it's, I'm pretty um, sure I used to be Bashir season one. I, yeah. I like to think that, you know, these days I have evolved to become like Bashir season four. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hopefully, hopefully haven't picked up like your historic. Hope, hopefully, haven't picked up the historical reenactor vibes. <laughs> no, not uh, yet, at least. Although, although I, I do play role playing games. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you know, you know, there, there is a yeah. I th- it's a short hop from uh, RPGs to uh, Hollow Sweet. Yeah, Hollow Sweet LARPing in the Hollow Sweet. So exactly, exactly. So. I do want to point out that Odo here, we don't get, we don't get like all cops are bastard Odo here or noir Odo, but there is a third worse option. Mall cop Odo. Yes, we do. <laughs> hey, can you, you're not allowed to loiter here. Move along. On a nice yeah. split on one specific scene where he busts up uh, Nog and Jake and their lady guest friend. And he has this shit eating, 
smile on his face, which I immediately interpreted as like, ha 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 ha. I have caused misery to the children. Uh, and Anna interpreted like the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. That like, he, I mean, like in part he's happy because they did what he asked, but like, he has no reason to hold a grudge because they did what he asked. So yeah. at that point, he can be happy that like they're you know making friends, and perhaps this new friend will be a good influence who will encourage them not to dangle their legs over the promenade. I would yes. I would counter to you that I have thus far seen no evidence that children behaving well or enjoying themselves brings Odo joy. I think anybody behaving well does bring Odo like No, I yeah. I do not it I think that <laughs> I think that at a, at most it brings him the the lack of the lack of annoyance. The only thing we've seen that brings him joy is flirting with Quark. Like part, legitimately. I think I think part of it for me is that I feel like everybody on that station has to recognize that Jake and Nog are like desperately lonely all the time that like yeah. all they have is each other. Yeah. And like even even Odo, who is like not particularly well versed on like how to people has got to, has got to recognize that like, you know, these these two kids like dangled their legs over the promenade because they don't have anything else to freaking do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to stop him from being a mall cop to them. <laughs> but like, you know, I think I think he like has the capacity to like be happy when like, you know, he sees that they're, they're like getting some like new stimulation and making a new friend and stuff. So essentially your argument is that he's Fusco. And my argument is that he's Franklin. Yeah. And, and let's, let's see how that, let's see how that plays out. But I think, I think you should try to give Oda the benefit of the doubt. Like at least some. We'll see. Uh, we'll move on to progress. Yeah. Um, so the next episode is Progress, written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by Les Landau. The station is busy with a joint operation with the Bajoran government, with a Bajoran minister on the station to oversee the process of tapping one of Bajor's moons for energy. The moon is lightly settled and has been mostly evacuated. However, when Dax and Kira do a, sub, a survey on a runabout, they find the moon still has some humanoid life signs. Um, Kira beams down and finds herself confronted by farmers with tools pointed at her. Kira finds that the man who owns the house, a man named Mullabok, has been living here for nearly 20 years. As he tells it, he escaped from the Cardassians on Bajor and settled here to hide out. Kira starts to see something in his resistance to leave the moon as part of her own stubborn resistance and the fanaticism that was present in the Bajorans against the Cardassians. As Kira reports back to the station, she is told they cannot use a safer method of energy retrieval as that will take longer, and she is to extract Mullabok by force if necessary. The situation gets out of hand, and Molobok's mute companions attack some of the Bajoran officers. Molobok is shot, and Bashir has to tend to him. Kira cares for Molobok and helps him finish a pottery kiln he has been building, but as he lights it, she brings out his bags, telling him it is time to go. She blows up the kiln and sets fire to the cottage. Molobok says that if he leaves the moon, he will die, but Kira insists that she won't let him die as they beam up. Our B-plot is for this episode is Tate. You ever hear of that guy who started with a paperclip and ended up with a car just by trading <laughs> things on Kit Craigslist? <laughs> so Quark gets a shipment of Cardassian yamak sauce, which I just imagine is shitty soy sauce or like... I think it's fish sauce. 
Oh, okay. Fish sauces, yeah. Um, which he wants to get rid of. Nog and Jay take it off his hands and trade it for some self-sealing stem bolts. What do self-sealing stem bolts do? Please never ask me. No one knows. They self-seal. They, um, he trades these stem bolts to Bajoran, who gives them some land. And they tr- and eventually they find out that it turns out that the Bajoran government wants to develop this land for a public works project. So they trade the land to Cork so he can make a profit off of it for five bars of gold press latinum. <laughs> oh, I love the B plot on this. I always forget that this is the it's, episode that has this B plot with the, the No J consortium. The, the, it's, um, it's, it's so gold. good. I love it. Yeah, there was a lot of what a wild ep- DS9. One of the sort of hallmarks of DS9 I've discovered so far is tonal inconsistency. And maybe they like oh, yeah. dial that in later, or maybe that's just kind of how DS9 rolls. Yeah. But there, like, there is an episode that is like, that, that is like, well, this is the darkest penultimate episode to a season you could possibly have. The B plot is Jake wants to get a birthday gift for his, for, for, for Cisco. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's legitimately one of the best episodes. There's some wild, weird stuff in this episode. Uh, I forgot that Kira is not her first name. Yeah, yeah the so, Jordan naming convention is yeah. family name first, uh, given name second. Yeah, her her name is Nerese, but everybody just calls her Kira. Yeah, yeah. It's like we it's like how we call Bashir Bashir. Yeah, uh, I really did not get what this guy's plan was. Um, like, I His I understand plan is to die. Yeah, yeah no, I got that. I just. I, I I was very confused by by this whole by the whole uh, a plot in this episode. I mean, it's it's basically like let's talk about eminent domain. Yeah, yeah, I think the 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 point of the a plot was to like make Kira do something she didn't want to do and force a conversation about that eminent domain, as you said. But uh, it was it was it was rough. Yeah, yeah. The writer the writer of this episode expressed some like regrets over that um he he had intended with the episode like i just from like notes like he had intended for mullabach to be like a lot more confrontational and an asshole about it but like it just ended up in the direction that he became a lot more likable which yeah. is almost better i think yeah yeah because it's it's really like a very tragic episode honestly yeah. yeah which i think is good i don't understand how kira's jacket works it looks like it's like sprayed on or like like where are the seams or does she got a zipper it's it's got a zipper in the middle it's it's just very well hidden it's a like invisible seaming technique okay because i can't see i was looking because i saw she's like she gets down to the tank top which i agree with your notes on a A plus (laughs) oh yeah that that's like that's an a plus outfit right with the like like super high waist uh pants and then the like open work tank top like yeah God damn, Nerys, you're rocking that. Uh, but then when she's got it back on later, I'm looking at the jacket and I'm like, how? Where? Where is the... There, there is like, the, yeah, there is a seam yeah. right down the middle of the front. Yep. Down the middle of the front? Really? Yep. Yeah. Okay. They're just they're just really good at hiding. Like, it's, it's basically 
um, you can, you, you know, it's basically the techniques that you would use on like a very, very fancy dress, right? Oh. Where you, you need to put a zipper in, but you can't have it be visible. So there's techniques for how to do that. Um, so that you, you know, you kind of change how you're sewing it and what you're attaching the zipper to. Um, and it makes it so that like you can get the, the fabric together, like very, 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 very tight, which especially in a matte fabric, like the uniforms are made out of, um, yeah. means that it's very invisible. Um, and then the zipper, like you can only see it when it's moving, basically. That's yeah. wild. Like it, I posted a screenshot there where it's like, if you zoom in on it, you can see the seam. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. It's right. it's like it's like legitimately like it's a it's a Star Trek costume designers do really cool shit. Um Yeah. And and that's very, very skillful sewing as well to make that. Huh. All right. Yeah. Um, Question answered. Yeah. But think about think about it like it's basically the same technique that you'd use to put a zipper in a wedding dress. Got it. All right. Yeah, I, I do find it like this episode like doesn't completely work for me. Um, it, it's like I, I think that like the 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 bit of like Kira like revealing a little bit more about herself and coming with some coming up with someone who is just as like brickheaded as she is is fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's like it is literally coming at like okay, you are literally standing in the point where a bomb is going to be dropped, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the part that confused me. Like, I get being stubborn, but I mean, he was basically saying, "I'm just going to stand here and die." Yeah, which yeah, I, I it is it is a line in the sand that he has drawn, which I I think is something that <sighs> he wasn't even trying to stop what they were doing. He was accepting that, like, I I respect that, like, you're going to do what you're going to do, and I can't stop that. I'll guess I'll just die, like. I, it is, it's not, it's not like a lay down and die thing. It's just like, I am, I'm refusing to move. And if you do this, you are going to have to kill me to do it. That's fine. Yeah. And, he, and he, he's like, I'm not going to fight this, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to leave this place. Yeah. Which I think is like something that is, I think maybe articulating, like it's the thing of, I have built this and I'm not leaving it. And yeah. the fact that like, you know, it's like, I escaped a genocide to come here. And created all of that, like all of the furniture and everything he created by hand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I can, I can fully understand just how horrifying the prospect of leaving that place would be. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it's, it's, I think it's like, there's a good emotional core here, even if the, I, th I think it's a, it's a good emotional core and we, we sort of recenter Kira. Um, yeah. And I don't, it, it doesn't matter to me much that like, that the the reasoning behind it's a little muddy. I think the character work is good. Yeah. Yeah. And between between this one and Battle Lines, we've gotten like a fair amount of Kira character development too. Yeah. Yeah. I you know the 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 A plot, like the reason it doesn't kind of work for me partly is that ultimately it, it always kind of feels like a bit of a nothing burger. Like this guy never comes back. Like Kira never talks about him. Even like, even though they theoretically developed this like deep bond that like Kira will get another cranky grandpa. Um, she gets a better cranky gra grandpa down the road. Yeah. But like that, that basically like she burns the place, beams them up and that's it. Right. That we never, we never find out 
Like, what are the actual consequences to this guy and yeah. the two people who were living with him? I mean, like, well, does my, he does he just keel over, basically? <laughs> or, you know? I mean, it, it, it could very well be that the... the re, like, and one, one possible resolution of this episode is, like, he is forced to resettle on Bajor or another moon or something, and, like, he refuses to talk to Kira ever again. Yeah. Which I think is the most... Which I think would be likely... Yeah. Um, or or, you know, who knows? Like uh, apparently in one of the novels they they bring him back, but like yeah, they never actually like bring this character back on screen. Yeah, which I think is unfortunate. Um, despite maybe being like not having the best script to work with or like the the best motivation, Brian Keith who does the who plays Mullabach does like a good job with it. Yeah, I I decided to look him up. Uh, on his IMDb, he has so much information, or like he has so many roles because he's one of those. It's he is from the golden age of Hollywood. I've never turned down a check. Mm. Um, <laughs> the two things that the two things that like stood out to me is like he's done a bunch of stuff, like a bunch of western stuff. He is the dad in the original '60s Parent Trap. Oh, wild! Wild. He is also in Spider-Man: The Animated Series as Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Always, lo- always love a good Spider Man. He, he, like even if he, even if that was just a voice thing, he, I, I could see him dying and uh, inspiring a Spider Man or two. Yeah, yeah that yeah. tracks. Yeah. Does it? Wait, wait. Does this mean that Kira is Spider Man? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. It's, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. Jude, watch for spider powers. Yeah. <laughs> um. This, this is a random note for me, but in one of the quark, in one of the seeds of quarks bar with Jake and Doug, uh, we see a Bolian background officer. Like, oh, it, yeah, it's just like because they were like one of the few like Federation like species that are like that we see a lot in the 90s that are visually distinctive. Yeah, there's like and, a blue guy. Yeah, they, they always like it's always just like one or two Bolians. And it's and specifically a bald blue guy, too, not a blue guy with white hair. Yeah. Noted. I think one thing that I do think like is important for Kira's arc is that this is the this is her in the aftermath of battle lines coming to a point where she is moving to a politically active person on Bajor. Yeah. Like I think this is I don't think this episode has a lot of it, but I think this is our I think this is sort of a radicalizing moment for her. Yeah, that she she's kind of like realizing that you know, maybe the way that Bajor is going about its reconstruction is problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah. See, this would be, if, if we didn't have anything else, I would say, speaking of problematic. <laughs> As our transition, um, but go ahead. I, I, a couple of other things. The A plot for this is basically just Ensigns of Command from, T, from TNG all over yeah, again. Practic- like, it's not quite scene for scene, but it's like, it's very close. Um, and the other thing that I love about this episode is that it's the it's the first time we get like girl talk between Kira and Dax. I yeah. love that Dax clearly is I don't know if they ever clarify Dax's sexuality in this show, but I am I feel like pansexual is the closest thing because I think I think looking back on it and like retcon, I, I think like you can sort of make retcons and stuff. And like she is pan, like like I think I think the the way of like looking at the all the evidence and stuff is yes, she is pansexual. 
Yeah. And I, but I like that she's she's just like not te- she's not teasing Kira with this Morn comment. Like, I mean, a little bit, but Dax's off-screen romances that we get throughout the show are delightful. Yeah, yeah, and and this is also the start of like we're moving away from the like ascetic um, Dax. Right. Yeah. And now we, we're now we're to the Dax. Now we're to fun Dax. Yeah, we, we're on to the Dax that like we're on to the Jadzia that fucks. Uh, right. Right. Nice. And and especially like especially also the Jadzia who like sees interesting things in all sorts of people. Too. Yes. Who like who thinks that Morton is legitimately sort of cute. Yeah. Yeah. She's, that was the vibe I got. I, that was the vibe I got from it is that. Like, yes, she was saying that to kind of, like, scandalize Kira a little bit, but it was an honest opinion. Yeah. Yeah, which super love. I I think it's one of the things that it's like, it's, it it is a delightfully alien quality. Yeah. Because, frankly, for being as much of alien fuckers as, like, humanity is in Star Trek... We're still very anthrocentric. Oh yeah, we, Dax we is the big real old. monster fucker on this show. We, yep. I mean, I don't doubt that humans will fuck everything in space, but we will be bigots about it. Like that's the human way. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's still very anthrocentric. Like Dax is like like on the monster fucker scale. Like hum, like humanity on an average is like a two. Riker is at a three point five. Dax is like sitting at a four point eight. <laughs> yep, that tracks. Are we ready to move on to the real banana pants of this episode of this series here? Yeah. Right. Uh, speaking speaking of culturally insensitive things, um, in, in things that we avoided, actually, uh, we have if wishes were horses. Uh, this is a Jude. Yep, I got this one. Uh, it was good lord. Uh, story by <laughs> Nell McHugh Crawford and William. L. Crawford. Two people had to write, came up with a story for this this thing. Either siblings or they were married, but either way, it's a crime. Teleplay by Nell McHugh Crawford, William L. Crawford, and Michael Pillar, directed by Robert Legato. Okay, let's go. The episode opens on a dead quarks, where the proprietor is trying to sell a a dead quark, but that's a dead quarks. Yeah. The bar is empty. There's no ships. Sorry. Uh, be more specific. It's, it's like, yes. Uh, the proprietor is trying to sell a loitering Odo. Seriously, doesn't this fascist have some personal liberties to be violating? On the hollow suite, they notice Jake leaving and Cork ends up talking about his entrepreneurial plans there with regards to Cisco's baseball program. Elsewhere in Quark's, Julian is apparently professing his undying love for Dax, who reminds him of the various skirts he's been chasing lately. <laughs> she firmly friend zones him, then returns to Ops, where Kira and Cisco tell her about this week's whatchamacallit. I didn't bother to listen to the specifics, but I'm sure it will be the cause of whatever goes wrong. I was wrong. Uh, the, in the O'Brien residence, Miles proves that when properly motivated, he can tell a story as opposed to his performance in The Storyteller. Uh, reading Stiltskin off a Kindle to his adorable daughter, Molly. Then they say goodnight. As he and the wife head off to work on a sibling, said daughter reappears and says Stiltskin is in her room. 
O'Brien humors her and leads her back to bed to find an actual goddamn pointy-eared goblin elf man in the room. Uh, this is the point where if you smoke, this is where I would recommend you smoke a bowl if you are watching this episode. Uh, the elf, who first offers to be of service, next makes a vaguely sick, sexist remark, then begins to trash the O'Brien rev- residence for reasons I don't entirely understand. He's looking for straw, Jude. He's looking for where Mayor Miles has the straw. I stand by my description. <laughs> um, Miles, very sensibly. I, I want to pause here for one second to say that Miles' reaction to this bullshit is the is not surprise per se, but the 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 face of a man who has been on the enterprise for a number of years and has seen some shit including like including like moriarty coming you know taking over the holodeck and stuff oh that hasn't happened yet or it's it's like it's happened with like the last year Uh, so it didn't happen when i don't think it happened when o'brien was on board in any case well the the first one the first one is in season two but i don't think the holodeck for that Right, but but like still, you know, still he is O'Brien has seen some shit. Yeah, oh, he yeah. has a look on his face of like this this bullshit, not like what's happening. Um, he'll get there, but like his first reaction is like, Ugh, uh, which I really <laughs> fucking loved. Um, he calls security, who can't lay a finger on the elf because he keeps teleporting around, so he calls dad. Cisco is on his way over when Jake appears with his favorite baseball player in tow, who has apparently followed him home from the hollow suite. In Julian's quarters, he wakes up from a nap to Dax, who will hereafter be referred to as Horny Dax, uh, who is all handsy and horny and wants on him. But he is saved from some very gross behavior by a call to op to come to ops where all the various fantasy characters have gathered and everyone gets a good smirk at the fact that Julian's fantasy, uh, is horny Dax uh, right up until when regular Dax arrives. Uh, she continues to try and get into his jumpsuit until he rudely tells her he doesn't have time while everyone else is trying to figure out what's going on. And she vanishes on the promenade. Otto calls ops to tell them that it's fucking snowing, presumably more hijinks, which swiftly uh, turns into a space animal that looks an awful lot like a fucking emu. Um, he calls it, it like a, it was apparently a terrible it, it, it was apparently terrible to work with uh, he <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look thrilled. Me. he doesn't look thrilled with it um, he then heads to Quark's to tell everyone ladies gentlemen and androgynous creatures way to be inclusive bud uh, only to be greeted uh, not to use their imaginations only to be greeted by with insults by Quark and his imaginings two scantily clad women side-eye, who proceed to give him an ear job mid-conversation. Right up until the point that Odo points out that while he's getting his jollies off, everyone is winning at Dabo. In the science lab, Julian awkwardly tries to apologize to Dax for horny Dax and is relieved when she assures him it's not a big deal, but then scolds him a bit about his imagining of her asking if he really wishes he, she was so submissive, which is accurate because we all know that Julian's a bottom. Like, she accurately knows that this is nonsense. <laughs> um, Horny Dax then immediately reappears and accuses her of being a cold fish. Uh, Julian is saved from further awkwardness or getting his ass kicked by Dax 
uh, by the computer, which helpfully informs them that a similar subspace thingamajig, what's it call it, was observed in the 20th century before destroying the system it was in. Rut-row. After Cisco has a brief walk and talk with Bokai, his baseball player imagination thingy, said baseball player disappears, only to reappear in a conference with Rumpelstiltskin and Horny Dax, who drop the pretenses of their fantasy covers and discuss keeping up with their plan. Dun, dun, dun. As the ops team comes up with a, pl- with a plan to solve the problem, Kira experiences a new kind of imagining, a vision of a man on fire that's definitely less friendly than a ball player or a horny coworker. In ops, they put their plan into effect, which involves a torpedo and shields and more O'Brien sciencing the science, I guess. To no avail, however, as the station is hit and things appear dire. Rumpelstiltskin appears and tries to get O'Brien to trade his daughter for a fix when Cisco figures it out. He realizes that uh, Dax believed it was a rift and got everyone to believe it was the same thing, so the rift appeared, and it snowballed from there. He orders the shields down and for everyone to stop speculating on what is going on. No imagination. Suddenly, the rift is gone, as are all the imaginary people except for Bokai, who explains that they followed the Federation ship through a hole in space to try and get a better understanding of what they were. He suggests they'll be back in a year to check up on Ben and leaves. They went back to their home planet. We never heard from them again. Yep. Okay. Good to know. Well, so my first question is, are these the prophets? No. No. From, no. Absolutely from the, not. Yeah. They're just no. like some random thing that came through the wormhole? Yep. Don't worry, yep. we will know. We will. You will know when it's the prophets. Yeah, yeah. You know when it's the prophets because it's the like misty, the like misty light um, that's like oversaturated and like okay. it switches they between. The, they turn up like the echo and the audio a lot. Yeah, uh, I really had no idea what was going and, on. And the prophets are always also uh, like characters that we know essentially. Yeah, or I at least know. characters that the characters know. It sounded like they might be talking about. That like they might be, but I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, nah. Um, nah. I also, um, I mean, that's not that's not like an entirely wrong idea. Like, yeah. like it's not a stupid idea, but it, that is not the case. Um, yeah, generally the prophets have a lot more. So, <laughs> they have a lot more. Their inquiries have a lot more value than whatever the fuck this was. Yeah, <laughs> right. I will admit that I I will fully admit that this episode is terrible. It's also one of my favorites. Um, it's one of the ones that I like go back to and I'm like, try, you know, being like, eh, let's let's put a random Deep Space Nine on. It's like this yeah. one or like Move Along Home. Like I I sometimes these really stupid episodes are also like kind of fun. Yeah, I, um, yeah. So, there was a lot of like fun bits in this episode, but it was also just like I didn't love the Dax, the horny Dax stuff. The horny Dax thing is honestly, it's really funny to me because I'm like, nah. If some, if if y'all were, if if like if if my if like my dreams walked in through the door, I would die. I would go under a table and die. And honestly, Julian is handling this better than I have. Because honestly, <laughs> and I, I actually kind of really like this as a Dax moment where she's like, yeah, no, I actually like that's like, I'm fine with it. I like her comment that like, I feel like we invaded your privacy because yeah. everybody has imaginings that they don't really want, you know, in the, in the corner of their mind that they don't want shared. 
And I love that, like, it's that moment where he feels, like, comfortable enough to imagine her again. And so Horny Dax reappears and, and immediately like, calls her a, 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 a cold fish. He's like, like, she's like, I don't like, you know, it's fine. I'm just like, you know, I, I really shouldn't like, I, I feel like I violated your privacy a little bit, but do you really see me as a sub? <laughs> right. It's like, Which is just it's fun. like, I don't, she, she's like, I don't mind if you fantasize about me, but like have some taste, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, um, I thought it was also funny that the one imagining that Odo had, was of quark in a cell speaking of <laughs> submissives and dominance um, clearly we know which one odo wants to be in that relationship and then well we can get to the the serious stuff about baseball later we can go back if you still have thoughts like horny oh, bullshit I, have th- thoughts. I have thoughts about this um yeah first of all i think o'brien's storytelling status is best done with an audience of less than five yeah especially if the audience is less than five yeah yeah definitely yeah. Um, I, the the actress that plays his daughter is hella cute. Oh yeah, yeah. That kid is adorable, and I love how this show clearly really like. I don't know if it has dad issues or it's the anti dad issues Star Trek. <laughs> because I think it is it the anti dad really, issue Star Trek. Like it, yeah, it's, it it's really loves dads. Fatherhood. Yeah, it celebrates yeah. fatherhood, and Cisco's a great dad, and O'Brien is a like clearly like trying his best. I don't know. We haven't seen enough of him with his daughter to know if he's a good dad or not, but he's clearly loves that loves his daughter and is trying. And I love that. And I, I really, as a parent, like you don't get a lot of like non janked up uh, depictions of like being a parent on TV yeah it's almost always like someone's dead or there's like it's always it's always something's wrong i mean it's like it's the ted lasso it's like the ted lasso line of like i like it's a very tv way of looking at parents of like i always like meeting someone's parents it's like an instruction manual for knowing how how they got fucked up Um, yeah but which i think is like in some ways true but like other times it's like i think ds9 is interesting because it's like in the majority of parental relationships it has, like especially paternal relationships, mm-hmm. they all tend to be very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, with we haven't gotten it yet, but Cisco and his dad, or Ben and yeah. his dad, like is still friendly, but is also complicated. Yeah. The I would say the worst paternal relationship on the show is by two people so fucked up they won't even actually acknowledge on screen that they are that they are parent and child. Interesting. Interesting. Wait, which characters are you talking about? I'm Dude guessing headphones. he's talking about. Well, I'm guess I'm going to guess that he's talking about Odo because if you're, they're not going to admit that he's that they're parent and child, I'm guessing. Take it's, off your headphones, Jude. J- take off your headphones. God, three headphones in one night. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tated Garrick. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's like, that is specifically, like, that is the most unhealthy, like, they're, like, like, okay, is it is it just me who reads that? Like, like, because that, that is my personal read. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, I think that's canon, actually. I, it's never confirmed, but it's so close to it that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like that, that was the one I was referring to. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I like I was specifically referring to paternal relationships because, yeah, it, like, 
the Great Link is its own thing. Yeah. It's it's so <sighs> It's like I, I can't even finish this I can't even finish that thought, so I'm like, yeah, sure, Jude, just come back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was guessing Odo, but apparently I'm wrong. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 a much worse it's it's a it's yeah. a much more spicy option. All right. Yes. Should we talk about baseball? Um, actually, I do want to talk about one thing with yeah. how this episode was originally pitched. Okay. Um, oh, that's that right. The, you said you had some some behind the scenes that made it worse. Yeah. So well, nearly made it worse. So originally, in the original pitch for this episode, before it got rewritten, Rumpelstiltskin was originally a leprechaun. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, when they're, like, apparent, like, you know, um, like, the storyteller was originally a TNG pitch that sat around yeah, that tracks. sat around for three years in their office before they finally like picked it up. Um, and this <laughs> one was one that had been sitting around for a while. They kept trying to figure out how to do it. They finally got it to a point. And when they bring it in, Colby's like, this is ridiculously offensive. Like, and <laughs> like, like this is like, like, listen, like, Cole Meany, who is, from everything I can tell, is like a king and is one of the best exports that Ireland has ever had beyond me. Um, <laughs> um, like, has, uh, you know, like, it, it, like he actually, like, phoned Rick Berman because he was, like, actually, like, really bashed about this. He's like, this is a really shitty stereotype. I'd prefer if we do something else. And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll, write, we'll rewrite the episode. We'll, we'll fix it around to come out later. I think this meant it was developed later in the season than it was originally supposed to be. So they like they had to rewrite it because it was like, okay, okay, let's do Rumble Stiltskin instead of a leprechaun. Which uh, works great. Which yeah. is a perfectly valid switch. And yeah, God, making it a leprechaun harassing Miles O'Brien would just be I I like it would legitimately I think it would legitimately put it into like it wouldn't even be a fun bad episode if this was a leprechaun. This would be a contention for the worst episode of DS9. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I could see that. Because with with Rumble Silkskin is like fun bad. Yeah. The uh I, I also had I, I had a little bit more to say with the like Dax and Julian thing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah please. Because I, I really find that that's like very interesting in this episode. Um like both both in terms of you know Jedzia's reaction to horny Dax, but but also the thing where they're talking and he's like, and she's pointing out that like, he's both super hung up on her and not hung up on her. Like that he's, he's like professing his undying love, but he's also like seeing other women um, happily. Or he's lusting after other women. That's, that's like, he's pining, but he's not like <laughs> actually like, he's not actually, doesn't seem like he's actually going out with people, but yeah, I'm uh, very confused. I think he's at least attempting to go on dates. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get the sense that uh, Bashir is, if we put aside the OTP of Bashir and Garrick, I get the sense that Bashir is a character that they imagine as in that like too much young and like that young male phase of like wants to fuck everything that moves, but he's like classy enough to, to be and like socially awkward enough that sort of manifests as like developing crushes on everything that moves. And (laughs) the fact that Jadzia keeps telling him no, just kind of makes her like the unattainable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, also, I have to say that a high-pitched sonic shower sounds like just the worst thing like possibly imaginable. Just like the worst version of a cold shower. Yeah, I don't... What? Oh, uh... Oh, god damn it. Watch... You really... You gotta catch up on Strange New Worlds, Anna. I, you're killing I, me. Here. I, I'll watch it tonight. Man. There is a there's a a a joke about sonic showers in <laughs> in the most recent episode uh, that would would play. Really sonic well. showers are just the worst thing possible, especially when you have replicators. Right? You have replicators. Why can you not just make infinite water? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it is. I mean, like apparently, like you feel super clean afterwards, but I'm just like it's. Yeah, but how could that possibly be as satisfying as but a shower? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's an emotional connection to having a shower. Like, you know, sometimes there is just a feeling of like, hey, I've had a long day. I'm going to go sit. I'm going to go like sit in the shower and like, you know, just just decompress. I always I always fantasize. I always kind of imagine that these like ships and space stations have like essentially public baths that like. You know, you you can like have your sonic shower to like get clean in your own quarters, or you can like go to the public baths and like you know. Uh, have, mean, that's what the hall site is for, I guess. Yeah. Are you suggesting yeah. that like the Enterprise has an onsen? Yeah. Why not? Right. I the mean, Enterprise I mean, the has all sorts of shit. The are for. Go take a yeah. dip with the whales. Yeah. That r- circles back to a question I had watching the storyteller, which is. Is there a Starfleet regulation against taking off their uniforms ever? Um, And I know that this is like a TV. This is just like how Trek works. But like Miles is they've they've been down there overnight and he's now he's coming out to do the storyteller thing and he's wearing just his uniform. They have given him so much clothes. He could just wear the whole storyteller outfit, but instead he is wearing his onesie. With the storyteller robe over it. And I'm just like... Because he is on an away mission. It, 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 it's the same thing of, like, you see people on Stargate. Like, you know, they'll deal with weird cultural factors. They're still wearing camo. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very silly to me. It is very silly. But, you know, I, I occasionally... Um, I mean, we, I'll, I'll, we, we should have friend of the network, uh, angry staff officer come on to answer questions about weird military stuff, including <laughs> dress. Yeah. I Anyway, I, I really love this episode. I don't understand it at all, how it got made, why anyone would write it. Um, but it's a silly episode and it apparently establishes that the world gets bored of baseball in 15 years. So, all right. Uh, I think that's buck wild, but I'm into it. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, see, I think that somehow the timeline has, this timeline has been averted because we have invented the one thing that I think has saved baseball, which is the pitch clock. Yes. Can we talk about the pitch clock? I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So, so back in April, I went, I I went down to LA because uh, we were going to a wrestling show down in Los Angeles and we were like, Hey, and I was with my sister and we were like, I was like, Hey, have you ever been to Dodger Stadium? No. Okay, cool. There's a Saturday game. Let's do it. And I, I think, by the way, if you like baseball, go see Dodger Stadium. It is one of the most beautiful parks in the world. Um, however, it is also the worst traffic nightmare in human history. Um, but we're there, and Clayton Kershaw is pitching. 
Clayton Kershaw is one of the best pitchers on the planet. He's also a fast pitcher. The game was two hours long. <laughs> it's dude. Chris, it was insane. My wife has been watching the Cleveland Guardians games, and I love the pitch clock. The rules changes they made for this season, I do not give a shit about baseball, but it has made these games so much more watchable because it just it just moves. It moves so much better. There's more scoring. The the base stealing is easier, so it's much more like dynamic. And you don't have the pitcher throwing back to first like 87 fucking goddamn times. I don't know. All good changes. Uh, so perhaps this is uh, somebody interfering with the timeline to save baseball. Ben Sisko uses uh, <laughs> a time travel device he finds in some episode to go back in time and save baseball from, from extinction. It, it is just an yeah. Very brief headphones moment. Oh my god, four! <laughs> I never did this to either one of you. Just for the record, <laughs> is that the other thing he does when he goes back in time? <laughs> <laughs> he 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 saves baseball. Uh, right? Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I'm that that is very funny. I love that. I just needed um, to make one small joke. Okay. <laughs> it was good um yeah i think this is like this is a like this yeah this is a bad episode but it is a fun episode and honestly love that yeah i think this is like the definition of a good bad episode yeah yeah, yeah. like it's fun to watch like it's absolute garbage but it's fun to watch yeah yeah also also i i really appreciate just how freaking horny this show is at all times. And, it's incredible. Right? I, I appreciate yeah. it so much because like, honestly, a lot of what's on TV currently is nowhere near as horny as this. Like there might be more we, sex yeah. scenes, but they're not, but it's not as horny. Uh, we've talked about the fact that like modern prestige television is like smuttier, but not hornier right. than what we've been deal than what we've been watching on DS nine. Right. DS nine is horny and i'm into it like we've got like alexander sitting having to like at you know like act his lines where well uh terry farrell is like kissing his neck and nibbling on his I, ear which apparently was very difficult to act i i can imagine um <laughs> uh a better actor than i could ever hope to be um <laughs> I don't really have anything else for this episode. Yeah, I, I do, I, I do find it interesting that baseball had a had a team in London in the twenty forties. I wonder if that's London, Ontario. Interesting. Or if it's London, England. Like this is a this is a good question. Um, also, well, also, they were called the Kings, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, but Canada's weird. Yeah, uh, that would seem to imply London, England. If it I was mean, the Kings, yeah, it was, if it was London, if it was London, Canada, it would be like the London Poutines or something like that. <laughs> I mean, they have the senators, and there there are no senates, and I, that, that is a reference to Native American tribes. But it's like uh, sports team names get very silly. Also, also apparently, Armin Shimmerman had a blast filming this episode because he just got to like hang out with those. Two scantily clad ladies the entire time, um, and Love apparently, that. like they were very nice, and he had a lot of fun chatting with them. <laughs> I, I mean, just from like everything I've heard, Arbitrament is apparently is a delight. I love that like this episode just never comes back. Like this episode never gets brought back up, bad up, rightfully. Yep. 
Okay, I'm looking this up on here as the. Are you on Memory uh, Alpha too? Yeah, I'm looking this looking up. Looking up the the London Knights. It doesn't say which London. It's not specific. Yeah. <laughs> but it does say they're a part of the Planetary Baseball League. Bukai was traded from uh, the uh, Cebu. Yeah. Or the Cebu Lions, which are a current team that exists in Japan. Yeah. So I'm guessing, yeah, it is a full, I guess they have like some, I mean, this is like how you do it in the the late 2030s. They have supersonic jets or something that teams travel on. Uh, but yeah, that's cool. All right. Um, right. There, there is a thing. Um, baseball does make a comeback because um, like the 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 they reference it on lower decks that the, there is the like that they can go to a baseball game, huh? I think that that's just Cisco and like all of the people who he, you know, makes play baseball with him. <laughs> I love this. I, I oh God, I love this. There's a note here. It is unknown if the team was based out of London in the United Kingdom or based out of London, Ontario. <laughs> now I don't have a lot for a lot more for this episode. I just like I love the I love that baseball exists. I, I can't wait to meet the other baseball fan in the show. <laughs> yep. Also, Jude, Jude, put a pin in um Nog playing baseball. Alright. Okay. So next episode, we are going to be covering episodes uh 17 and 18 of season one, which is the Forsaken and Dramatist Personae, one of which I am much more excited for than the other. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to finding out which one. Until next time, just, just keep circling. Keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Yeah. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.